A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Preview. I'm Michael Sidgwick in the absence of Adam Wilborn, and I am joined by fellow Dudley boy Michael Hamflit to discuss everything that's in store for us on AEW Dynamite tonight. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we preview and review Dynamite, Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0, pay-per-views. We conduct wrestler interviews, we hold roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. Hamlet, are you psyched for tonight? I am, I am, I am. Um, <clears throat> AW has done everything it needs to do to sell me on full gear, um, to the point where I'm actively looking forward to previewing the things that we already know are happening. You know, like there, there's been some um, shoulder programming over the last 24 hours that it just feels like they can't actually top on dynamite tonight. And with one of the other major programs as well, I I've got this feeling that there's very little that they can do on this episode that can make me feel as excited for the pay-per-view as I already do. But that's a good problem to have. That's the challenge that the great wrestling show is supposed to, to rise to. So I'm kind of, if anything, I'm welcoming being surprised with how much I enjoy this dynamite. I didn't get long to pontificate on it last week, but I thought it was pretty lousy last week's episode and for a variety of different reasons. But one of them was the sense that, ah, have they peaked for this entire pay-per-view two weeks early with one glaring exception, which I can't wait for us both to enjoy. But otherwise, apart from the obvious, have they peaked a little bit too early with the build to this pay-per-view? If anything else, this Dynamite could be a night to prove that feeling wrong. Yeah, no, I'm in agreement. Last week's Dynamite for me, and we've already reviewed it last week. You can listen to that wherever you get your podcasts from, of course. Felt very much like a checklist of angles that they needed to advance to the detriment of, like, a genuinely believable experience. Bang, angle, angle, angle. Players surrounding angles get to the ring do a physical beat down play the music even before they've stopped finishing the beat down it just felt overwhelming a little bit contrived obligatory was the word i used quite a bit um this week seems different they haven't strategically positioned um teams or individual players in matches that you can sort of see the angle alerts from a million miles away there are a couple of matches on this card that don't seem to feed in 
um, which is going to be refreshing. I'd like things to just happen in isolation to get away from that contrived, we're having a pay-per-view. It just felt like a graphic running across that entire dynamite last week. There's one tag team match in particular that's just sitting in the television space, and I'm more than happy to to live in that television space, even though there is a pay-per-view on Saturday, because the insistence, and I get it, but the insistence on hammering home the big sell just makes everything feel a little bit convenient. Um, they've got one thing that they absolutely don't need to improve upon, but they'll have to kind of do it considering it's the go home. They might even just run the video package that they screened on the road to. How do they improve upon the perfection that was the Rampage Anglin segment between Eddie Kingston and CM Punk, which I'd like your thoughts on because you weren't on the Rampage review. And before you do that, and guess what they might do this week? Did you see the road to? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> you could have confused Eddie Kingston for Miro. The uh, the overtones with which he was summoning that he had to beat CM Punk um, in that incredible road to. He recommended uh, homework to go along with this podcast ahead of Dynamite tonight. Um, yeah, that... <laughs> In essence, that promo sort of did build on perfection because it was so good. But yeah, the Rampage thing was special. It was, uh, and you know, what was most sort of, one of the one of my sort of memories from watching it the first time, because I've already watched it five, six times since, and then yeah, things start to get warped and your various experiences of it and what you're looking for the second time and the third time. But one of my memories of the first watch of this promo between Kingston and Punk was that I didn't think it started hot. Kingston was, um, and it's great because it's him and he's real, but he was stumbling a little bit over the uh, the COVID excuse of why he missed Dynamite. And there was this sense of like, well, I know it's true. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to receive him as a baby face or heel, but then as we would later go on to say, that's not really the point. Um, and I, like, I wasn't sure. I was thinking, oh God, there was a lot of pressure on this. Is this going to hit? And then of course it hit and hit and hit and hit and hit and hit again. Um, and I think that's the only worry here if anything if you can even call it a worry they've given us no reason to but is that this could you know this could feature on dynamite tonight eddie kingston could have a last few words the same could have a last few words and there could just be that little feeling of oh this is great but it's not quite as good as friday and that's really unfortunate they're cursed by their greatness like which is bad luck for them but if there were two wrestlers that you would want that pressure to be on the shoulders of it would be eddie kingston and cm punk so it's quite a unique scenario for the pair of them if anything because Kingston got the, it wasn't the last word, but because he got the big moment on the road to, I wonder if you yet again play with this, um, like all things to all wrestling fans, CM Punk character. He comes out and does his CM Punk stuff and does his happy to be there, Phil. But the smile has started to waver. The shoulders are looking a little bit more tired because, and not for the first time, somebody has told him that they don't really care much for all this romantic comeback stuff. Taz said it, and it became a bit like, ah, oh, why are you being such a miserable bastard, Taz? It felt in keeping with the guy that is there to spoil parties. You didn't get that from Eddie Kingston at all. What you got from Eddie Kingston was a nagging insecurity that CM Punk will have had to live with for the last three months. And indeed, us as wrestling fans that know he's a bit of a prick will have had to live with for the last six months. The very same insecurity that has us all listening like with, that, like with a glass to the wall when CM Punk's doing commentary on that Dark Order match, just on the off chance he might mention something about Colt Cabana. There was so much wrapped in the idea that Eddie Kingston says he's not fooled by the romance of CM Punk's return versus someone like a Taz. And I wonder if that's what you do tonight. Punk wants to come out and have a good time. Last time you resented Taz for spoiling the party. This is a different kind of resentment. He's had to look in the mirror over the weekend 
and he's maybe not liked it very much. And this fight, and putting it's okay because he can be a bit of a prick because he was a little bit of a prick in the head to head as well. This match has suddenly become a great deal more to CM Punk because it's like he does have to win, but he's kind of probably coming to the terms of the fact that he's going to have to be a dick en route. This is one of those really daunting things to preview because two dorks who've never taken a bump or cut a promo <laughs> have to kind of guess, given this is the preview podcast, what they might do to sell me more on the match. Like, there's nothing else they can do. I'm bang up for this. That segment was so great, and it went for, like, what, nine minutes? Following a really well done and believable backstage interruption, the best possible version of a diatrope, and they had nine minutes to build on it, and I'm almost on the hook for this after this nine minute segment as I am for this two year story between Kenny Omega mm-hmm. and Hangman Page. That's how exceptional it was. So this, I don't know what the hell they're gonna do. They're better at this than I am by miles and miles and miles. My only thought, and they'll probably do something better than this, is that they've got a way out of giving away something early that they don't necessarily want to do yet. If you cast your mind back to what started it all, Brian Danielson choked out Eddie Kingston and Eddie Kingston hated that. And what's wonderful is that he hated it when Moxley did it to him in 2020. Mm. In his head, it doesn't count if he doesn't consciously quit. So I love that little thread. But in the post-match... It was an incredible match, and it was one of those few occasions where it was really earned, where Danielson was like, what a match, shake my hand. And Kingston was just like, nah, not doing it, not doing it. (laughs) What if CM Punk, the only possible thing that is better, I hesitate to use this word because I hate it, the only thing better or the only level, the only gear to go up from that situational heel tween or whatever you want to call it promo is if he just steers into the direction of fan sentiment especially following that players tribune article penned by eddie kingston that you need to read the second this podcast is finished if you've not already well cm punk just cuts this absolutely incredible scathing heel promo on eddie kingston tonight full heel 100 no shades of gray no nuance and then they tie the finish to the Danielson-Kingston match to the finish of the full gear match when after a... I want the match to be way more layered than the promo I kind of want tonight. Full heel promo. You get way more nuance in the match itself where they both do flirt with the shades of grey. And after the end of an incredible match... Punk extends his hand to Kingston. You've earned the respect I didn't really want to give you for 15 years. And Kingston just shakes it. So what you've done is Mm. got a killer CM Punk heel promo, which is the only thing they can do to better the rampage angle. And then he turns face at the end because it's not really about cartoonish babyface heel dynamics. That's the only way I can think that they can improve upon the rampage thing. (laughs) They could just put on dynamite. The classic, eh, it should be on Dynamite. You know what I mean? Um, no idea, but as I said before, they're going to do something better than we've just pitched. Uh, the next angle, uh, before we do the uh, actual card rundown, um, advertised is a Kenny Omega Hangman Page contract signing. I don't need anything else from this. In fact, I think I would have preferred something in the vein of the Cinderella video they did before the last Full Gear match. 
that would just recount the beats of uh, the feud. I've analysed it in just wildly passionate depth over the past two years as it's unfolded. I have recounted all of those takes and expanded on them in my new book, Becoming All Elite, The Rise of AEW, which you can pre-order right now at whatculture.bigcartel.com. Buy it right now. Just to, like, advertise the heft of what you've done here without the expositional trappings of a live contract signing segment where you might have to really hammer home the beats, which I'm not really into. Um, But it's a contract signing. (laughs) Hamlet, my question to you is, they're not going to get, no one's going to get powerbombed through the table Mm. because it's an AEW thing and they know that WWE do that to derision. So if they're not getting powerbombed through the table, what's happening? Well, I, I love this for what won't happen more than what will. I love that they are giving you the most WWE of go-home segments in the least WWE story that this company has ever told. Um, It's almost a dig. It's like, we've done this for two years. Like, we can do a contract signing now, and you can think it's going to be some sort of cliched, tropey thing, but this has got two years of building it. This is not just, oh, we need to fill that last week of television just to get to the pay-per-view. So I quite like that it's come down to a contract signing. I... I'm going to be slightly critical before I come back around and just be like effusive with praise. I do think there has, there is room for build in this uh, personally. That's not to say that Omega page isn't established and we don't know every aspect of the story as brilliantly as it's been told in all the different ways and mediums that it's been told. However, just within the context of this last chapter, I do like, I have sensed the need for just something to get you where, I mean, this is all hugely subjective, but to get you where you would have felt when, for example, Hangman returned in the ladder match. Like imagine if the ladder match was the last night before the pay-per-view or how you felt at the opening bell of the Dark Order versus the Elite when the Elite were dressed as the Space Jam guys and Hangman Page came out with them. And uh, like, I don't think that feeling's been there. But I like the staple of Marshmallow Man was really, really good. But where people's criticisms of that comedy stuff being used in the title picture I, I think were closer to the mark was that yes that's awesome yes that pop is huge but are you right now um feeling as you did for hangman page on some of those other epic moments in his journey i would say as great as it was the answer probably on balance was no and i just think that's what they've been chasing this last sort of, maybe actually we'll give him the benefit of that with the the cowboy sh- promo as well that was probably another point so i'm identifying here two or three points that would have stood as perfect go-home moments for this feud and yet they've already had them so the challenge really here is to create another one tonight because last week's wasn't and because stay puffed wasn't and you know kenny as well has sort of felt like um because this program hasn't peaked right right now kenny as the champion has felt as much like another one of the big mid-card feuds as much as the headline champion this is probably his last feud as champion this is probably his last dynamite as champion until he wins the belt back and has he felt like the big dog of AEW since he fought Brian Danielson? Again, I would argue no. And I just think it's those opportunity to just address those minor criticisms of both those characters. And tonight, make Kenny Omega feel like the biggest guy, the biggest threat, the mountain. The mountain that Hangman Page can't climb, but the mountain that nobody can climb because he wears that massive gold belt. For Hangman Page to be the babyface, the guy that isn't going to change the industry because nobody does that now, but the guy that they've made you believe 
will change the industry. The guy that they've made you feel like this is Austin winning at WrestleMania 14 or Hogan beating the Iron Sheik or whatever. The trick is just to kind of capture both of those at the same time. And by scaling back the typical pantomime of a contract signing, I think he can do it. I think Kenny Omega can give Hangman Page the eyes that he gave Brian Danielson when that old Kenny's ego was tested for a second and he said, yes, I will fight you. And Hangman Page can, to Kenny's face this time, promise all that cowboy shit again without promising that he can beat him because I think that doubt is important for the drama on the night. But stripped back and simplified a little bit, I think could make this truly, truly great with Jim Ross, hopefully, of all people, stood in the middle of the ring saying, with some truth, this feels like the biggest thing I've ever been a part of. So let's keep it clean. Any last words, sign on the dotted line. We all know what this has been for. The video package that the pre-show should run should be one of the greatest in wrestling history. Like, it really should be there. The opportunity they have to make something with their video editors. Like, I'd be lapping that up if I was in that production truck getting to make something like that. But tonight, I would like to see things kept simple and strong because I just think both characters need that little bit more spice before Saturday. I can't disagree with a single word of that. Um, it's almost a victim of how sprawling and affecting the build has been to the point where I wouldn't at all say it's petered out, but because WWE, uh, friggin' hell, <laughs> slip, because AEW has been so like white hot across the board that several more directions and elements of the program haven't overshadowed the Page Omega deal, but I think you're right. People just need a little reminder of how great this has been. I will forgive a tiny bit of exposition on that basis alone. If I was booking this, again, just because it's fun to fantasy book and we're all a bunch of nerds, I don't know if I wouldn't. If Hangman Page is kicking out of the one-winged angel, I would have, and I don't necessarily think that's the finish anymore because he can that for someone else. But if, in fact, that's the pop you're going to get, I would just potentially have Kenny Omega. And this is a wonderful use of how AEW embraces all of pro wrestling. I would have him list every single major star that he's dropped with that move. Just in a one, mm. boom, boom, boom. Like Okada, Moxley. Like every single name that he's dropped. Ishii, everyone. Hangman Page is the last name, and then he just walks out. That's yeah. actually a way to do it. But yeah, again, it's one of those things like, what a daunting preview, because those two things are going to be way better than we could book them. Which leads me into a suboptimal segue in that I've grouped the next two points together because I'm pretty sure we can book the next two things. I'm pretty sure the next two things are going to be virtually identical, which is kind of a macro problem with AEW Dynamite for me as a whole. Uh, we'll start the first of the two by going through Pack versus Dax Harwood. I can't wait for this match. I think it'll be an absolutely incredible styles clash. We know Dax Harwood's great in general. We ha- He had an absolutely sensational singles match with Jungle Boy earlier in the year. What I loved about that match, my the impression that's left on me was how little space Dax Harwood gave Jungle Boy to mm. give anything. He was just in his face the entire time, which informed how awesome it was when Jungle Boy could trap him in submissions or could like attack him aerially. It was great. And Pac is going to be another brilliant uh, opponent in that regard. But I expect who's going to win this because. 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I mean, Dax Harwood can't. I reckon Dax Harwood is going to win via, via chicanery. He's in a title match and he's in a more important match than Pac is presumably going to be in. I expect the Pac Cody versus Andrade Malachi Black match to be announced immediately after this with a suspiciously quickly assembled match. <laughs> um, so I expect Harwood to go over through shenanigans and I expect it to draw out every single player in this sort of program. So you've got Harwood Pack. On Harwood's side, you've got FTR. You've got Andrade, who's bought their services. And you've got Malachi Black. And then you've got like some weird combination of Pack, Death Triangle, and Cody, and then a big mass brawl. It's not going any other way, is it? No, it has to be like that. And I, I don't say that with particular enthusiasm. Um, and it's a shame because... I think if this wasn't on a go-home show and if they didn't feel like such an obligation to build other stuff, this could be a total ripper. I think this will be very good, but there'll be the sense that it's all... it Like, the angle will almost hang over it. It'll hang heavy in a ditty of an otherwise awesome combination. I'm with you. That Dax Harwood-Jungle Boy match is one of those... You know, and it's like, we're guilty of this because of the job we do, but I imagine a lot of like people that are listening to this are because of the amount of wrestling they watch. Television matches in particular get really criminally robbed around end of year season, around awards season, because like I could say to you, for example, Kenny Omega versus Ray Phoenix um, as like one of the very few standout uh, Kenny Omega television matches. But I know for a fact he's had more and Dax Harwood and Jungle Boy by not even being like tippy toppy stars stand a chance of that like bona fide pandemic era classic being just relatively ignored by people at the end of the year because I like that was in a time as well if you recall where it felt like Dax and Cash were using individual performances to try and yeah. play a bit of a can you top this and it was the most exciting FTR had been and then like never mind singles matches they barely even seemed to get tag matches for a little bit and they sort of fell off we're kind of just approaching them hitting form again 
the you know the tag matches have been divisive because they've been angle heavy and I don't know if FTR have still quite figured out the magic the, the old magic of their heat sequences just yet but I would have expected loads from Dax Harwood and Pack had it not felt like this had so many other things to accomplish and I wish it didn't like I really wish it didn't I do expect yeah I expect Dax to win as well it seems daft like the match already exists Lucha Brothers versus FTR we're assuming that this this I don't like this tag, by the way, this clunky tag that's going to get made for full gear. Just to throw that out there, because um, we can't officially preview it, but we would both assume that this will get added to the card tonight. I don't like it at all. Um, I don't think anywhere near enough work's been done into establishing, like beyond a nudge and a wink, I don't think there's been anywhere near enough to done to establish the relationship between Alistair Black and Andrade. I don't particularly feel good about Cody getting in the mix of this sort of nonsense when he's in the middle of this big thing that he's doing on his own. If anything, it kind of just speaks to how unfocused his year continues to be. Um, well, that's that's by the by. That's potentially for a full gear preview, I guess. So yeah, Dax to win. The match will probably, spoil wrestling fan alert, will probably just be a three and three quarters when we know they could do four and a half plus. Yeah, I expect this to be incredible. I genuinely expect this to be incredible, but we shall see. Along similar lines, the uh, six-woman tag, the trios between Dr. Britt Baker, Rebel, not Reba, or Reba, not Rebel. Not a wrestler, I don't know that much. And Jamie Hayter versus <laughs> Rosa, Ty Conti, and Anna Jay. Like, again, it's just functional. We've got a pay-per-view match to build, so let's do a little two-minute tease, which is delayed when... Heel Britt Baker sends Rebel into the ring to do the work against Ty Conti. Ty Conti will kill her. It might be mildly amusing, provided she doesn't get injured, because that's the danger with Rebel. When Ty Conti does that awesome judo suplex, uh, judo throw sequence, Baker selling that with her brilliant face could really put over the threat. But they've not done anywhere near enough work to build it as an actual world title match it's not a women's title it's a world title at least it should be it's never how it feels in aew unfortunately um so i'm just expecting an easy win a, a warm body in rebel to get pinned to build towards a match in the absence of a story so i'm a bit underwhelmed by that as well i'm slightly higher on this um but it's entirely as a result of um thunder rosa's involvement in this it is one of my very very favorite stories in aew that through faults that aren't really our own, Thunder Rosa is nowhere near the, or not close enough to the AW Women's title. The idea that Britt Baker, like, is kept up at night by the pressure of Thunder Rosa challenging her more than anybody else because she knows what they went through together. Um, the idea that that could be a uh, one-year anniversary match in a year's time where Thunder Rosa finally gets a title shot, just, for, you know, for example. Really, really love all that. And I just think this presents you with such a golden opportunity. Yes, Conti will be rebel or hater. I do fully expect that. But this presents a golden opportunity for there to be that point in the match where Rosa's got Baker trapped in the dragon sleeper and there's action going on around the ring or something like that. And Excalibur uh, in particular is pointing out how Baker's stranded. She's got nowhere to go. Thunder Rosa's going to beat her again. She's going to beat her again. She's going to beat her again before either Hater or Rebel just sneaks in in time, just breaks that up. You build all that amazing heat up to see Dr. Britt Baker in a situation of significant peril. Yes, it's not at the hands or feet of Ty Conti, which is less than ideal for this pay-per-view, but let's be honest, the build for this has been less than ideal. They have not done anywhere near a good enough job as establishing Conti as a like potential champion. Fair enough, a fine challenger and a half-decent match, but I would even say that more people were 
betting on Ruby Soho to beat Britt Baker than Ty Conti. And this is for a pay-per-view, that was for television. So if, what you can get out of this match, if not just boilerplate stuff for Saturday, is yet another teaser, is that Rosa is the one that Britt Baker should be fearing. She tries to be to live in denial of it, and does few times when Rosa gets near it, be it losing a battle royal or this these wins that can't get her up the rankings. This is effectively another one. This will scan as another victory over Britt Baker that doesn't get her where she needs to be. And I really, really like the opportunity they've got by putting her in this six one. Better than it had it been, say, Abaddon as a result of the yeah. Halloween match the other week. Like, I think they've given themselves a chance here to do something quite special for that, which is their legacy women's title feud at present. Yeah, the, the the additional layer of Thunder Rosa, I was putting it over for the exact same reasons ahead of Dynamite last week, but that angle just felt a little bit wrong because Ty Conti wasn't there mm. and Anna Jay got screwed out of the match against Hater and like Ty Conti just looked like a dick for not being in the corner. She was yeah. like, she looked like she was being the hero making the save. It's like, well, if you're a real hero, you would have been there from the start, but you couldn't, <laughs> if she was there from the start, you couldn't have got the result you wanted. It just felt like that they were trying to do something deft, <laughs> with a little plot hole that was really not ideal considering the person you want to receive as a proper baby face ahead of the pay-per-view just didn't really look like a baby face at all. To combine our two things, I'm thinking it's deft without feeling it's deft. Um, up next on the preview, I don't know what's going to happen on the card. I would love it to be the opener, but I feel like it won't be. Uh, Dante Martin and Leo Rush versus Matt Seidel and Lee Moriarty. I cannot friggin' wait for this. I think it'll be special. I think that Leo Rush will enter like an absolutely incredible performance because we know he's capable of it. They've been building it, knowing that he's awesome. Um, there's real, there's like potential for just incredible rapid explosions of state-of-the-art in-ring action. But there's also scope here for Leo Rush to kind of urge Dante Martin into cheating because he's really the heel manipulative influence. I enjoy the fact that this is happening, again, to reiterate, on this show because it just exists. This doesn't have any um, impact on full gear. I don't think they'll do a stepped-up re rematch or anything on the show, which is already stacked enough in itself. I just enjoy how one thing is going to happen in the TV space. Well, that's what I loved about the crossroads before revolution. Some things just happened on TV because mm. everything's a big contrived carny big sell for a pay-per-view. So I enjoy the fact that, that this exists in itself. I'm anticipating it being absolutely amazing. Um, surely rush and Martin get the victory because otherwise I push this act of the don't unless they're going to do Dante Martin versus Leo rush as your last minute banger. I imagine that for 10 minutes. It'd be unbelievable. I'm on the hook. I've talked myself into it more than I know. <laughs> yeah, they could do Martin and Rush on the buy-in, but it would feel rushed, wouldn't it? No pun intended. It would feel like they're not quite there with the story yet. And I'm always, and I, like AW have fallen into this trap in the past because of then, like, I don't know, I understand why they go for the stables and the teams and the units. I don't like it when a unit feels a little bit forced and then there's not storyline vindication for why they would stick together. We had this with Hardy family office all the time. Why were they with like, what had Matt Hardy promised them or shown them that they were going to achieve from being together because they had very little success in his employ. And I think that's why Martin and Rush have to win here because other like anything other than that means they should fight each other. Dan, if Dante Martin doesn't get immediately what he like instant gratification from working with Leo Rush, he's got a brother and theoretically a successful tag team off to the side. He doesn't need Leo Rush. They can have their match. And I don't think it's time for that yet. The most interesting thing for me 
Um, Lee Moriarty has not yet wrestled on Dynamite, has he? I don't think so, no. I don't think so. I couldn't remember. I was racking my brains before we recorded. And typically, um, they, and, you know, for all that there is being the Elite and Rampage, they do understand that this is this is the show. This is the stage. Um, Dante Martin, in fact, was a recipient of this. They are really, really good at making sure somebody shines on their first Dynamite. They're mindful that this is the biggest audience. The people that might not watch anything else will. There's a sound of good chance of tuning in for this. And they understand the significance of that. Dante Martin, of course, in that heroic losing effort against Kenny Omega. I know that wasn't his first appearance ever on Dynamite, but it, it was intentionally positioned as a kind of standout night for him. Um, there's just a good history of guys having a big night, even in defeat. And I think this will, a little bit of this will be the Lee Moriarty show, even even in defeat, because they'll want people to go away after the fact and see what he's been doing on Dark or what he was doing before he arrived in AEW. If anything, he's a guy that between now and, well, it's revolution, so it's ages away, but the next pay-per-view cycle, you would expect him to be perhaps involved in something a bit more significant by the time. I know that you get these like maybe like false like false dawns, I guess, with like your Daniel Garcia sometimes and your powerhouse up. Sometimes people feel maybe further up the card or more on the agenda than they look. But his placement here as a perfect partner for this match and the chemistry and how great this is all going to be, notwithstanding, I think that like they'll look at Lee Moriarty and think, right, before Revolution, we want people to be caring that he's on the card, not the fourth man in a tag match. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree that he'll get uh, spotlighted in this match, as he should. Um, Dante can just work for 20 seconds and steal it. That's just how great he is and how much potential he has. And if there are no ramifications with full gear, I don't care. I'm going to make that point. <laughs> last week was overwhelming and contrived. Um, last match announced in typical fashion, at a fifth, presumably the second we stop record, um, is Brian Danielson versus Rocky Romero, which I'm interested in for two reasons. One, it's a Brian Danielson match. It will be incredible. Rocky Romero is like an unglamorous, excellent professional wrestler. Like he has worked so many very, very, very good matches across like three tag teams throughout New Japan Pro Wrestling's Golden Peak. He had a really great run in the 2019 Best of the Super Juniors. Um, in New Japan Pro Wrestling, where he played the really respected tenured babyface character to absolute perfection. And his ring style and his skills, strengths, will complement brilliantly with Brian Danielson because he's like an armbar specialist. We'll get some really nice grappling stuff. I expect this match, therefore, to be very, very good. Danielson will win. Miro will confront Danielson. It'll be the sort of generic, we kind of have to do this kind of stuff, but done really well because it's Miro and Danielson. And they've both got this incredible presence. And that match is totally impossible to predict as well, all of which is awesome. Rocky Romero is also the liaison between the New Japan Pro Wrestling office and the New Japan talent. He is in America to do New Japan things and AEW things because New Japan Pro Wrestling has a show on the same night as Full Gear. Rocky Romero facilitates the talks between AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling. Tony Khan spoke with Rocky Romero to get Kenta on board, which cracked ajar the Forbidden Door. Are we going to get some Forbidden Door stuff? I know Ishii and Okada are in America right now. Obviously, they can't do anything at full gear because they're working on the Saturday night. 
But could we see some sort of angle or hint that we'll get some forbidden door stuff in the weeks after full gear? I, I think the match is the hint. In the same way that Rocky Romero is the forbidden door, really, at this point. Um, yeah, when I saw his name come up this of all weeks on this Dynamite, as you say, the match can just exist for the fun of the match. Absolutely, it can. Um, but immediately, my mind went to um, no longer AEW world champion Kenny Omega needed opponent and Okada being free the very next Wednesday. For, like That was straight away in my head, right, because... Tony Khan's got to want the next Omega Ricardo match. He, ha- he has to want that to be one of the benefits of this relationship with New Japan Verse, and if he can get it. Speculation on my part, but I just feel like that's something he's probably shooting for. And Kenny Omega is suddenly going to be without a belt and against an opponent that... Well, I think Kenny Omega's got one more big loss in him after Hangman Page. So, Kazuchika Ricardo is probably that perfect loss on, on one beautiful, perfect night. Um, and Rocky Romero getting this match right now reminds me very much of uh, Don Callis doing commentary on the full gear opener last year. They are showing you that something is going to happen. This is this is how it works. Um, and if not Okada for Omega, uh, yeah, Kenta for Punk, Ishii for anybody. Danielson. Uh, yeah, yeah, Danielson. Um, Ishii for Keith Lee in a Rev Pro rematch when Keith Lee signs on. Yeah, like, do what you like with him. But yeah, this feels... Um, mouth-watering for reasons that are not necessarily directly to do with the match. Just to, like, if you want to make those connections yourself, that's fine. But AEW are kind of helping you along with the booking of this match as well, which I think is a nice thing. I think it's a, I mean, look, AEW are not what New Japan were when they had Shabbat to take a kick in the head that time. I feel like if they're going to show you this thing, it's because it's supposed to exist for the purpose of something else. It's almost made me wonder, you know, if uh, and I, I don't think that don't get me wrong, I don't think that like the details of Punk and Homer and uh, Eddie Kingston were on the board for ages, but just bringing Homicide into that world as a feature in Eddie Kingston's life, as a way to eventually play into doing more with Eddie Kingston's history, as we've now got with CM Punk, as we could potentially have with Brian Danielson, a lot of other people from like that Ring of Honor clique of guys that Eddie Kingston felt like he wasn't a part of, makes me wonder if that was why Homicide was a one night thing. It's like, well, let's never completely slam that door shut because he had this enormous legacy once upon a time that's been sort of lost to, like, LAX stuff. And I just think Rocky Romero's that. It's just a bit of fun tonight, but it's definitely what it represents is what we should be all getting excited for. Aye. Either that or Tony Khan just loves watching Brian Danielson wrestle. Brian Danielson said, oh, Rocky Romero's around. I'd love to wrestle him. Mm. Just something to build towards a Miro stare down. And Tony Khan's went, whatever you want, you're the best. <laughs> yeah, well, there yeah. is that, yeah. It might just be simple, um, but... We don't do Occam's Razor on this podcast. We fervently fantasy book stuff like total nerds, as do you listeners, in the nicest way possible. So you can let us know your thoughts on whatever's going to go down on Dynamite tonight at WhatCultureWWE on Twitter. Whilst you're there, you can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. You can follow me at M Sidgwick. Once again, you can follow us all at What Culture WWE. Uh, make sure to um, look out for the Dynamite review, which will hit your feeds tomorrow. But in the meantime, we will see you soon. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.